My Eagle enthusiasts, it's Fairway Rolling, presented by FanDuel. Major season is here, and you can get in on all the long drives, big putts, and major moments with FanDuel. Check out live PGA Tour bets like longest drive, round leaders, matchups, birdie or better, and more. Plus, track every shot in the app and watch select par three holes while you place your bets. Download the app today and bet with FanDuel, the official betting operator of the PGA Tour. Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. You must be 21 years old or older and present in select states. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Evernorth Health services. Costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and Evernorth is doing everything in their power to make that possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best. It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that'll benefit your bottom line. It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because they're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions, that's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey, hey, my Eagle enthusiasts, Fairway Roland brought to you as always by our very good friends at Callaway Golf. I have an exciting thing to tell you about. I'm going to help you with your television viewing this evening. It is Tuesday, February the 18th. Golf Channel is premiering tonight at 10.30 p.m. An unbelievable new documentary. I talked about it a little bit last week. It's called The Ball That Changed a Town. It's a documentary that goes in-depth on the storied history, and we're talking decades back, of Callaway's world-class golf ball facility in Chicopee, Mass. These are balls made in America, my homies. The people in Chicopee, Mass, keep this ball factory running smoothly 24 hours a day, and the cutting-edge technology that Callaway is putting into its premium golf balls are all due to the handiwork of those good souls up in Chicopee. Airtimes tonight on the Golf Channel, 10.30 p.m. Eastern, and it's going to re-air overnight, 1.30 a.m. If you have to get up with a kid or something, you have a little one at home, a little baby, and you're up in the middle of the night, 1.30, or or you just get after it tonight and you want to watch something late night, 1.30. By all means, please, don't let, let me get in the way. And then 5.30 Eastern tomorrow, February the 19th. But that's tonight, 10.30 p.m., the ball that changed the town, presented by Callaway. Par-saving pals, today's fairway roll, and also brought to us by Mizzen and Maine. Mizzen and Maine makes dress shirts for men that are actually comfortable and affordable. I'm adding that into this because I have bought these shirts with my own hard-earned Money. These shirts are well tailored so they fit comfortably and are made out of performance fabrics. They breathe, stretch, and wick away moisture. You can play golf in them. I play golf in them. They're machine washable. It's the shirt of choice for Phil Mickelson. You've seen them in the Mizzen and Main wear out on the golf course. So ditch the dry cleaner and start wearing a dress shirt that's comfortable. Visit Mizzen and Main at www.comfortable.com. Dot AF. That's www.comfortable.af. Use code Fairway, F A I R W A Y, to check out and get 10 bucks off your order. Mizzen and Maine. It's never felt better to look your best. Hello, friends. Welcome to this golf podcast. Unlike any other, you've made it. We've done it. We're all together. It's another exciting episode of Fairway Rolling, the golf podcast 
on the Ringer Podcast Network. Presented by Callaway Golf, I am your starter, Joe House. Lots and lots to talk about this week. We have Alex Myers from Golf Digest making his triumphant 2020 return and debut here on Fairway Rolling. We're talking all things Riviera. We're talking all things TV broadcast. CBS does not fare well. And after Alex, we have our boots on the ground, the PGA Tour expert. He was physically on the grounds at Riviera, and he also has some perspective on this PGL thing. Nathan Hubbard, ringer intern. Let's go over to the first tee. Oh, the fairway is open. We're going to go ahead and tee it up with my main man, Alex Myers. Now on the tee, making his triumphant 2020 return to fairway rolling. He is a senior writer at Golf Digest, the author and star of The Grind at Golf Digest, and a co-host of a brand new podcast that I've started listening to over there. I think you guys are still working on a name, I, but I've seen, it shows up as Best Bets. Alex Myers, welcome to Fairway Rolling. Thank you for having me on. Yes, that is correct. Uh, it's, it's a gambling podcast. Let's put it that way. It's, it's, we, we were given picks for a while, mixed in with the regular podcast. We decided to break it out. And, um, yeah, the, the word, the name is still work in progress. And we, I really like three idiots lighting money on fire. That's what I want to go with, but it hasn't been approved yet. And we would, we would abbreviate it to T I L M O F Kilmoth, kind of like a Monday morning quarterback type thing. Yes, you know, a little sure. action there. So, um, well, we'll see, we'll see if that takes off, but, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's fun. And, uh, Steve Hennessy and Chris Powers are on there with me, and they, they really do most of the research. I just kind of egg them on, and then eventually they convince me to make a few bets, and I end up losing money that week. So it's, it's a lot of fun. Well, this is why we get along so well. Um, lighting money on fire is a specialty of ours here at, at Fairway Roll. And although yes. we did we did recognize the trend line of guys with good past performances like Adam Scott, at Riviera mm. and why it's wise to, you know, cast a, a, a broad, make your portfolio broad enough to accommodate guys who've, who've played well. I'm, I'm somewhat disappointed. I think I've learned my lesson. This is two consecutive years that I've given out Brooks Kepka in an event before the masters. And I think I'm not <laughs> going to do it anymore. As I two straight years now, I gave him out at the players last year and found out mm-hmm, after mm-hmm. the event that he was on his crash diet and was going to get his white blood cells, white blood cells checked out. <laughs> and then this week, this most recent <laughs> week, it wasn't until play had already started that I heard about him um, saying in an in- interview at the beginning of the week that his knee was as bad as it's felt in six months. I'm in the same boat. I'm in the same boat. That was my big bet last week, but well, only because I saw we, we got him at 26 to one. And yes. when you think about a guy who's 10 to one, or even I've seen nine to one to win the masters and he's 26 to one to win a regular tour event. So three times the odds you're thinking this is too good to be true. And guess what? It was too good to be true. Because like you said, uh, he comes out on Thursday and says the knee, you know, feels like crap. It's never going to feel the same the same again. And I'm like, ah, why didn't he say that on Tuesday before I, uh, you know, with the $20 on fire. But, uh, anyway, I'm, I'm with you with that. And, and yeah, let's, let's just, let's agree to not take him before any of the major, actually, let's just not take him at any non major in general. That's it. I mean, this is two consecutive years where I talked myself into the event being prominent enough for Brooks to catch his attention to to make him interested gotcha. because we, you know, the players is a giant purse that that ought to be uh, motivation. And Riviera is an iconic venue, a, a major venue, and and he was surrounded mm-hmm. by all all of the uh, you know top players in the world, and he had just been uh, surpassed by Rory for the number one yep. spot in the world. And it just didn't matter. None of that mattered. <laughs> None of it mattered. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, well, look, this is kind of a good entree into one of the things that I wanted to talk with you about this week, which is kind of a state of the golf union, because we can, we can say um, the season has officially started. The California swing is in our rear view mirrors. 
The Southern Swing is staring us in the face, and folks are all starting to come together um, in preparation. Some might say in preparation for the players, which is just a few weeks away. And there is a giant purse at the players, mm-hmm. but really the whole world is store, sort of migrating, the whole golfing world, here to the United States to get the reps in, to get acclimated prior to April at, in Augusta, Georgia. So uh, we have another great field this week down in Mexico, uh, 20 of the top 25 players in the world, although the five guys missing, Brooks and Tiger, uh, among them yep. are, are are all great players, but so far this season we have a couple things that are jumping off the page at me. Seven events, five of the seven winners played in the Presidents Cup. Did you know that? I did not. I did not. Although, although I know the three Australian golfers have won already on tour, which is incredible. Uh, obviously including Adam Scott this past week with Cameron Smith and Mark Leishman. And, you know, they were all on that team. So that, that makes sense. That makes sense. So they're off to a good start. But so what are you saying? You got to make the, I mean, that's, that's the key. You got to make the uh, president's cup team to, uh, well, I to wish, win. I wish we had, you know, I wish I was smarter is what I'm really saying. I wish I paid more attention because the event taking place at Royal Melbourne, which is a, you know a world class venue among the top ten by every single world ranking anybody's ever done compilation of of the best right. golf courses right. in the world. Royal Melbourne's on there, and these guys were playing super competitive golf the second week of December. So, oh, like surprise, surprise that they are going to go play well, um, you know, in in the events uh, just thereafter. And so, right, it's Adam yeah. Scott, Leishman, Cam Smith, Justin Thomas, and Webb Simpson all played over the over uh, in in Australia, and you know all of them. And and the one that Webb Simpson won, Finau, he beat Finau in a playoff. Another guy played in the in the Presidents Cup. Um, another thing worth observing. Uh, interested in your reaction to it. Five out of the seven guys over the age of thirty. So, you know, we had kind of this, this moment uh, a couple of years ago where all these young guns were, were, were kind of blazing and we thought maybe there is this youth movement uh, on tour where guys are going to come out and just sort of take over and, and, and dominate. And that's not um, necessarily, we've had a couple years now where that hasn't really been the case in the trend line of guys with more experience. Now, you would expect guys with experience to prevail at venues like Riviera and like uh, Pebble Beach, right? Yeah, no, I think that that makes sense for sure, especially those two places in particular with the, the greens that present such a you know unique problem for, for players. Um, although Tiger has played it a bunch of times, obviously Riviera, he still can't figure out those greens. He's just given up on going to Pebble. But um, yeah, no, that, that kind of makes sense with some of those early, more established West Coast events that, that the, um, you know, the slightly older, I mean, it's still not like, guys who are 50 years old are winning, but, but you're right. No, not, 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 not the young guns, so to speak. Uh, other than, I guess it would be Justin Thomas and Cameron Smith, um, in, in that, that group. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's been an interesting start. I'd say because, you know, the fall was so incredible. You had just marquee player after marquee player winning. Not that, and of course, you know, Justin Thomas is a marquee player. I guess Adam Scott's kind of a marquee player too, but you had, you know, Rory win and Tiger win and Justin Thomas win. Um, it was just incredible. So, so to me, it's been a little bit of a sluggish start. I hate to say to kind of to the, the calendar year. Um, but uh, certainly, you know, there, there've been plenty of, of great storylines to follow. Yeah. The interesting thing that, that came out of what happened in the fall to me is how seriously the guys um, took what I'm going to, call the Asian swing. And I think it's, we, we now officially ha- have, you know, kind of an Asian swing. There were, uh, four events there. If you include the, the skins, uh, event, the skins challenge, right. Um, right. At, that Jason day took, took down, but, um, from o- mid middle of October until, uh, you know, the beginning of November, um, three straight events over there. And the, the winners are, you know, it was Rory tiger, and Justin Thomas, that that's the, the cream of the crop. Yeah. Uh, and that's something, you know, to sort of factor in. I don't, I, I haven't, uh, the, the, the tour won't publish the schedule 
for the 2020 2021 uh calendar for a little while yet um but you know the prominence of of asia on there um it it feels like it snuck up at least on me maybe maybe you were paying attention what did you think well no i mean i I think you're right i mean i think a few things went into that obviously the inaugural event in japan um and tiger doing the skins game which our golf tv we were a part of that you know that kind of pairing there got tiger over to japan and you know that sort of got the ball rolling that also got rory over there and so you had, you know, and then the fact that Tiger ends up winning that event, his first event back from the knee surgery, I don't think anybody was really, well, not anybody, of course, it's Tiger Woods, but we weren't expecting him to win. Let's just say that. But I think that really added a shot in the arm to, like you said, the Asian swing, which now includes the Japan event. Um, you know, they're going to be going back to Japan this summer for the Olympics. Um, so, you know, and then of course the the event Rory won is a world golf championship in Shanghai. It's not probably the least attended world golf championship, although it still gets just about every big name. And uh, you know, certainly Rory took that one down. So that that's a big one as well. So yeah, I mean it, it helps when you have obviously Tiger uh coming over there and it helps when one of the events is the WGC that they kinda sandwich these other events around. But uh no, you're right. I think I think everybody was pleasantly surprised at just how good the winners were from those events. Uh, because, you know, a lot of times we're saying, well, I think we even talked about this. Oh, the golf season goes on and on and on. And the wraparound season, I kind of need a break. But you don't really need a break when it's Rory and Tiger and Justin Thomas winning every week. And so that was, that was, that was pretty good to see. What I'm interested in, um, because we're both guys that like to indulge in a little forecasting, did, were there any lessons... <laughs> Were, were there any lessons learned from what we just observed um, from the California swing from the, the beginning of the season? As we look forward now to the Southern swing, we have events in Mexico, Florida, and Texas, and all, all of this is the lead up to um, the Masters. I mean, I, I'm, I, I'm happy that the Players' Championship is in March, and I'm happy to see all the great players come together there, convene there. I've never been a guy that that holds that event in very high esteem. I don't think it 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 mm-hmm. you know deserves a play. In fact, I think winning at Riviera is m- more um, compelling and prominent than, than winning the players. But um, having said that, we have this 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 nice run up of uh, you know a series of events. The API, the Arnold Palmer Invitationals in here. Um, some 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 you know. Uh, legendary events. Did we learn anything from what we just saw these last the, the six, seven weeks that's going to help us figure out how the next six weeks are going to go? Well, that are going to figure out how the, uh, the next six or so weeks are going to go. I would say the biggest thing we learned is Adam Scott is back. And obviously I think we should have known that from a, as you mentioned, he was on the president's cup team. He played pretty well over there in Australia. Um, I think, I believe he was actually the highest ranked international team member. And now he's clearly is he's up to number seven in the world um, after the winter Riviera. But right after that, he stayed over there and he won the Australian PGA. And that was his first win anywhere in almost four years. And this is a guy obviously who has the most perfect golf swing you could imagine. Uh, and yet he hadn't won a tournament in nearly four years. Obviously, the putting is what holds this guy back. Uh, we saw he figured something out when he anchored. Uh, he won the Masters. He got to number one in the world. Then the anchor band comes. He made, you know, he didn't hide it. He was not happy with the USGS decision. He still wasn't happy a few years after. Uh, but he's had to adjust. And like Webb Simpson, it seems in the past couple seasons, now the sample size this year is pretty small. But he's 15th in strokes game putting. He was 31st last year. And it's the same as Webb Simpson, although it just took Adam Scott maybe a little longer. Webb Simpson has become one of the better putters on tour as well, a guy who had to ditch the belly putter and and figure it out. Um, But we all know how good of a golf swing, again, Adam Scott has. We saw it, especially at Riviera, where you had to be so precise with your iron shots, uh, the balls were just bouncing through the greens. If you miss a slope here or there by a, a foot, you're you're in a tough spot. 
And so um, I think that's the thing we need to look going forward. Here's a guy who doesn't turn 40 till July. He's still got a lot left in the tank. And again, look at what Webb Simpson's doing. These guys are now both top 10 players again in the world after a few years of kind of falling behind. Um, I think he's the guy you got to look going forward. I thought you were going to just say what we learned in general. And I was going to say, just, you can't bet Tiger Woods at Riviera. Uh, he just cannot put these greens minus two strokes gain putting per round this past week, had him at the bottom of the field, which is why he finished dead last among the guys who made DFL, the cut. It, it's so weird. Why, why can't he put those greens? Why? I, it makes exactly. I mean, whatever it is, the sample size is there. He's, I hate to say it. I mean, unfortunately, he's picked the wrong tournament to be the host of because you know he's got to go there now and play every year. This is a, a course which I know everybody raves about, but he had stopped coming to Riviera. He had given up. It, it was not going to happen for him. And now he's the host. So, of course, he's going to go there. And, you know, all these guys struggle on Riviera's greens, just like they all do on, at Pebble, but with the, you know, the bumpy POA. But for whatever reason, it gets him worse than, than just about anybody. Um, it must be something in his head. And, and it's just a crazy stat to me that you, this is what I was going to fight back with you on, on the players versus Riviera. I love Riviera. Obviously I love the tournament, but to me, a tournament where Jack Nicholas and Tiger Woods play have played 24 times and never won. It takes a hit. I, okay. That, that to All me, right. I just, that is just a staggering statistic to me because you know, when the guy wins a tournament, they say, Oh, I'm on the trophy with guys like Tiger and Jack. You can't say that Riviera. Neither of them have won and they've played a bunch of times. It's just a crazy stat. It's a crazy stat um, for a place that, that you know, Ben Hogan, uh, you know, Hogan to Heli right. and what, what, what he did right. there the, with the, the historical prominence and, you know, the, the excellent crop of winners that it's produced. Um, no Tiger and no, no Nicholas, one of those hi- historical anomalies. Yeah, it's still got a great track record, of course. And, and yeah, Ben Hogan jumps off the page there as well. But, but again, it's just, you know, it's funny to me how when, you know, when Tiger or Jack win at a course, that becomes part of the, how great the course is. But Riviera, that just gets glossed over that the two best players in history have never won there. Uh, it, it's interesting. And, and again, Tiger's going to keep coming back there. I don't know if a tournament host, can he get the, the course switched? I don't know how much pull he has, but uh, yeah, he struggles there. No doubt about it. Uh, I, I don't want the course, course to get switched. The course was the star. <laughs> the course was really the star of the show this 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 past week. And um, yeah. we have on this week's episode, my pal, uh, Nathan Hubbard, um, whose brother's Mark, Mark Hubbard. And, you know, Nathan was mm. on the grounds. He lives out in the Pacific Palisades. So he's our man on the ground. Um, and the conditions at, at Riviera, I don't know if they'll, they'll ever be surpassed. The combination of the beautiful weather and how competitive the field was. And the thing about Riviera that I like so much is how, and you, you, you touched on this a bit, how um, s- small, the difference between success and failure is so extraordinarily small there. You know, where you land the right. ball is so um, incredibly important and that that's sh- the shot making uh the the artistry of shot making the artistry of right. saving par from awkward places from uncomfortable places that's what is is so compelling to me ab- about riv and what what i like so much about it and it's just unbelievable that that the tiger hasn't had uh more, more success there but the tra- the transition uh between the golf channel sort of early part of the day coverage over to CBS that it includes this thing hmm. that that we now refer to as the the coverage gap that doesn't happen oh. with with NBC why the tour right. permits this the diminishment of its product why why the tour indulges this disrespect I mean, the explanation that we've been given and heard and I accept it is that, you know, there's a different graphics package and they have their own yeah, sort of yeah. TV tech yeah. Uh, uh, applique to to apply yeah. to the you know the give it the CBS sheen, but while that was happening this week at Riviera, the leaders were on a hole, and two of the three leaders shot way over par. The whole leaderboard changed yep. enormously during the, those twenty minutes, and there's basically no effing record of it. 
So like if you you can't ask me, you can't ask me to take a sport seriously. Name another sport that permits right. that indulges the TV broadcast to take a 20 minute fucking break. It's insane. Right. Exactly. Anyway. Can you imagine if you're watching, no, I, you, you get on. I love, I love the passion. Can you imagine if you're watching, uh, I'm trying to think of which game it was this year. Recently, one of those NFL playoff games, I think it was the Ravens. <sighs> anyway, it was a game and can you imagine you're watching and they're like, all right, there's, there's a, uh, you know, a minute 30 left in the first half. We're going to, we're going to leave you now, but we'll be back on a different channel. Um, you know, in about 15 minutes, depending on how long a, a, ba- a basketball game runs. Um, and then you come back and you see that one team scored about three, two touchdowns before the half. And you see the score is totally different than when you stopped watching 15 minutes ago. It, you're right. It is absolutely absurd, especially in this day and age when we know what the capabilities are. I mean, first of all, at Augusta national last year, if you went on their website now you don't get announcing with it, but whatever you could watch every shot hit by every golfer throughout the entire tournament. This year, the players, you will be able to do that as well. Um, They're going to have cameras on every group. So, right. I don't want to hear these excuses um, about the, the, right. The different networks or the graphics. Nobody cares about that. Figure it out. It's 2020. You know, we, we watch, we've always watched every other sport in its entirety. We've never gotten golf. We're finally starting to get golf in its entirety. And yet you still have these, these coverage gaps. It makes absolutely no sense. It's ridiculous. And it's, this is for the tour and its advertising partners to figure out. I mean, you you can imagine, do you think David Stern, uh, you know, from the NBA rest in peace, David Stern, do you think he'd indulge, right, you know, right. the, the diminishment of his product? In this way, so you know, I, I I sincerely hope we're in the midst of uh, you know, I think a new TV contract is about to be announced, and there are some new entrants here, um, including ESPN Plus, uh, perhaps taking on some of the digital. Mm-hmm. And the thing that you just mentioned with the Masters and and the, the uh, players, where you can players. have some a la, yeah. a la carte viewing and and you know, be able to to curate your own television experience. I sincerely and dearly hope that that's what the future holds for us in terms of TV consumption, because, you know, the era, it's just not permissible anymore. And you made, you made the point. It's like, it's the 21st century guys. If you care about your product, you care about eyeballs. It's time to get it with the, with the program. Yeah. I mean, I remember, I don't know how many years ago, 10 years ago, I, I had, I, I don't have in direct TV anymore, but I had direct TV. And I remember watching the PGA championship and they had like six or seven channels. And they had different groups. They were kind of doing this stuff before even, you know, way before PGA Tour Live or anything like that. And I remember that was that was amazing. To, and you still didn't see everything, but you got to see so much so much stuff, a lot of, you know, different groups, this or that. You got to see something constantly as well. That was kind of the key. You didn't have to, you know, wait around for 30 minutes here or there. But again, that was that was like 10 years ago. So right. the fact that you know, these these networks now haven't been able to figure it out to to give us a better product. It, it, it it really is ridiculous. And I, and I would understand why golf fans or not even golf fans, potential golf fans would kind of give up on the sport even before they got into it. If, if you watched a that's why so many people like the masters, by the way, Hey, they jump in there and there's no commercials where there's like two right. minutes of commercials every hour. That's why, you know, you get these casual people who are like, Oh, I watched the masters. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Well then the next they turn into, you know, Harbor town the next week. And, and it's a disaster with all the stuff we've been talking about. It's basically like time to take a nap. I mean, it's it's TV for for nappers. Yeah. It's 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 a it's a sport for taking a nap. <laughs> Anyways, we're we're not going to take a nap this week. I need uh, to get your your pick. This is the Maverick Driver pick of the week. This is the Maverick Driver brought to us by Callaway, of course, with brand new artificial intelligence designed flash face technology this is the flash face ss20 engineered to promote fast ball speeds across an expansive area in each model and loft it has a great combination of low spin and high moi and features two interchangeable weights to fine-tune trajectory that's a bunch of tech talk that i know will make sense to you when you put this beast into play Maverick continues to win on tours all over 
the world this past Sunday. Two more wins. A Maverick Max driver won on the Champions Tour. A Maverick Sub-Zero driver won on the Corn Ferry Tour. Both wins by non-Callaway staffers who chose to play these drivers simply based on performance. The Maverick driver, get one in your hands. All right, let's do these picks. Alex Myers, I know that you just talked about this with your boys, Chris Powers and and, and Brother Hennessy. Let me hear yep. some of the the, the wisdom uh, for all of our birdie buddies out there. Let's share it. Um, let's hear who you guys got for Mexico. Well, you are going to be amazed by this, but we all like Dustin Johnson, who has won this event <laughs> two of the three years it's been in Mexico. Um, he is not the favorite. Rory's the favorite, but we, we like Dustin. Uh, you know, it's funny because we talk about the crazy altitude and this wacky course and how you have to really think your way around it. And, you know, I don't, maybe we haven't been giving Dustin and his brother Austin enough credit for, for their thinking skills and their math skills because they've obviously figured this uh, club to golf to Pultivic out pretty well. Uh, two of the three years. Um, and my, my, uh, going a little deeper, uh, I do like Tyrrell Hatton, who has three very solid finishes there, including the one time he was in the mix down the stretch, and he, he kind of blew his stack a few times, and he ended up saying Phil got preferential treatment and all this other stuff. He's a character, that guy, but he's down at 80-1. to one. He's kind of making a comeback from a little uh, off-season um, procedure on his wrist, but uh, I, I like that at 80-1 to one, uh, if you're going a little deeper. I like that. Okay. Well, I, I I won't give you a hard time for for going chalk. It's tough to. I know Dustin Johnson is so it's it's so lame. DJ seven to one. Rory's five and a half to one. Mm-hmm. And there is you know this this known um, trend line. All three of the champions that um, have uh, at at this particular venue, the golf club, they jumped the pick. They they they've all finished inside the top ten at Riviera the preceding year. So the, your your eligible candidates, if you're looking at the top ten guys that that fit uh-huh. that trend line, it's Adam Scott, it's Cooch, it's Rory and DJ, it's Bryson DeChambeau, uh-huh. Ches Reevy, uh Sung Kang with his second place mm. place finish at Riv, and then my man Hideki Matsuyama, who is my yep. uh pick of the week. He um, has okay. a known pr- proficiency. Now he he, <laughs> he finished. I think t- well, I didn't. I have to pull it up. Either two or three strokes out of um, first place at Riviera, and he was exactly that many uh, strokes behind in strokes gained putting because his putter is the <laughs> thing that keeps him from winning. But right, the right. Uh, most important stat uh, it seems at this event is strokes gained approach. Hideki has that in spades. He's 12th on tour right now in that metric. So Hideki Matsuyama, my pick for uh, Mexico this week. Alex Myers, always a pleasure, my friend. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Good times. We'll get, we'll get a pick at one of these days. We'll get it right. We'll, we'll get it right. I'll, we'll compare notes when, when, the, when the big boy tournaments start coming around. Thanks for coming on. We'll talk to you again soon. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. Take care. All right. Thanks, buddy. All right, my thanks to Alex Myers, as always. We're going to get to Nathan Hubbard here in a second, my birdie buddies. But first, I'm going to talk to you about Nobu. Nobu Los Cabos, to be specific about it. Nobu Hotel Los Cabos is the first Nobu Hotel in Mexico. The tour is going to be in Mexico this week. This is all lining up. A brand new 200-room property seamlessly blending contemporary Japanese minimalism with locally sourced Mexican materials and finishes. They drew design inspiration from the Japanese aesthetic of the Nobu brand, as well as the unique elements of Cabo San Lucas. So Nobu Hotel Los Cabos, the perfect fusion of architectural elegance and laid back luxury. Guests have access to two exclusive golf courses, one designed by Davis Love III, one designed by Tiger Woods, both at Diamante Cabo San Lucas, the Dunes course by DL3, ranked 36 in the world by Golf Magazine in 2017, the number one course in all of Mexico by Golf Digest just a handful of years ago. The hotel features world-renowned 
dining options, including an oceanfront Nobu restaurant and farm-to-table restaurant, Malibu Farm. They have four infinity pools featuring private swim-up cabanas, private beach cabanas, four super cabanas equipped with a full bathroom, day bed, living area, and TV. This is like outdoor living at its best. Essentia Wellness includes over 13,000 square feet of spa space and over 3,000 square feet of full-service gym equipment and an indoor-outdoor yoga and spinning area. My goodness. Visit NobuHotelLosCabos.com or contact your preferred travel professional. Eagle Enthusiast Today Show also brought to us by our good pals at Callaway. Last year, as you know, Callaway started using artificial intelligence to design their drivers, and it changed the way people think about driver construction. So golfers everywhere bombing the ball because of this breakthrough leap in technology. But folks were saying, hey, Callaway, what about some of that distance technology in an iron well, how about this? Callaway granted that request. The brand new Maverick irons using artificial intelligence, making them the very first irons ever designed by AI. And the impact of that is they're not doing it on just one iron. Every loft on every iron has a flash face cup uniquely designed by artificial intelligence. And all that really means is they did thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of simulations and trials and tribulations to come up with the best product to completely maximize distance. This artificial intelligence result is allowing for the center of gravity to be precisely positioned throughout your iron set to give you optimal launch and control. Now you can bomb it with every club in your bag. Maverick irons come in standard pro and max models. Sample them all. They're going to, you might like a couple from the pro set. You might like a couple from the max set. Go ahead and combine it. You can build yourself your own customized set of Maverick irons. A new decade of innovation is upon us. Artificial intelligence is paving the way new distance is out there. It takes a Maverick to find it. Get your set of Maverick irons at Callaway Golf. Dot com Callaway, the number one irons in golf. Now on the tee, he is the Ringer's golf intern, Nathan Hubbard. Hey, buddy. Hey, Joe House. How are you? I'm sad because R.I.P. West Coast Swing. Yeah, it's behind it's us. My favorite time of it's one of my favorite golf times of the year, and most importantly, it's the best food time of the year on the PGA Tour, and so. uh that's the last of the maple bacon from TPC uh, out at the Amex. It's the last of the Chick-fil-A and the In-N-Out Burger and Player Dining at Phoenix. And it's the last of the delectable club sandwich here at the Riv in Los Angeles. So my stomach is sad. Oh, right. So you you are, it's been established, our boots on the ground, our tour boots on the ground. You've been in each of those venues that you just described, and your belly is the better for it. Um, I want to talk about Riviera because you attended a number of days. It is in your backyard, almost literally. And from the East Coast watching it, it appeared to be in absolutely perfect condition. Uh, tell us about when you went, um, what it felt like to be there, what the vibe was like, and also please what you ate. <laughs> Listen, I, I have been to that course for the last five years. You know, my brother, uh, did not get in this year. He was third alternate, which again was bad for the food eating, but good for the golf watching. I mean, the thing that didn't get talked about a lot this week was the weather leading up to the course or to the tournament, because the last couple of years, there has been a ton of rain in L.A. leading up to the tournament, and in some cases during the tournament. This year, we did not have a lot of rain in January and February. And what we had in the week leading up to the tournament was a ton of wind. And so I think those things combined to, A, keep the rough down, which we should talk more about, but, B, dry it out and let 
let the guys running the course put it into really the most amazing shape it's been in in a while. It just the last couple of years was too soft and it took away some of the thinking that had to be done and the precision that the course required uh, that makes it so great. And so we heard a lot about the course this year. I think it is, it was in the best shape it's been in in about five years. Well, you know, the only complaint is that the rough was down a little bit and that made, uh, you know, that, I mean, look, we have a winner who hit 41% of his fairways. And the reason he won is because he was T2 in greens and regulation hit like 71%, right? So 72%. So it was it was a different course than it's been historically. And and the only other complaint was that the baraka that runs through the course, whatever that is, I think it's fancy word for riverbed, that, yes. that the the massive amounts of hay that, that are usually down in there were down a bit. And so it wasn't as much of a penalty to be down in there. We saw Rory get out of there pretty easily. But the course was just absolutely pristine. And, and what added to it this year was there's no doubt that Tiger being the host increased the buzz around it, right? We, we talked coming in about how the field was super strong. LA was buzzing about it. Here's the one thing. The crowds were sneaky light this week. Thursday oh. and Friday at that course were dead. I sent you a picture when Brooks and DJ and Rory and Phil, those two groups were coming up through 17 on Friday. And you said, whoa, you're right up in the action. And the answer was that I was just there. The, the, the crowds were a little bit light. Now, 18 looked great on Friday because you've got that natural amphitheater. But the, the one thing that people didn't talk about was the crowd was a little light. And, and the only thing I'll say about that is it's hard to get into the Riviera if you don't live in the neighborhood because they send you to a bunch of different places around the course. You take a bunch of shuttle buses in. And what we know about the highfalutin folks in L.A. is they don't love taking buses. And so I, yeah. I think if anything is to blame, it's that. But other than that, it was a pretty incredible week. It's, you're absolutely right. L.A. is not a shuttle crowd. I am interested, though, you just made a point um, that kind of answered the question I was going to put to you because watching the way that the course played and the setup, particularly on Sunday, to me, had a major feel. And the major that I think of that I think would be most suitable for uh, the venue is the U.S. Open. But what you just described in terms of the, the logistics of getting human beings to that golf course in the U.S. Open, you know, um, to to its credit, tries to to you know make it so that lots and lots and lots of people can attend. Um, that doesn't seem like a good match, uh, Riviera and, and and those big crowds. Well, a couple things on that. Riviera is when you look over the course of the tour over the year, it's one of our most urban courses. And by the way, it's gonna it's on a relatively small piece of real estate. We're gonna have the same problem at LACC, which I, I took a look at this week, and you know, they have just asked to reduce the number of tickets from thirty five thousand to twenty thousand for the US oh, Open wow. in twenty three. Wow. And it, it has the same issue, which is that it's hard to get people onto that course. Now, at the RIV in particular, it'd be a great US Open course. I think this week, it certainly didn't play like that because you think of that traditional U.S. Open course long with super tight fairways and the rough just absolutely kills you. Again, Adam Scott won this tournament being 115th in fairways hit. So it was a little bit different, it, it, more of a thinking person's course. But what was so fun about this from the major championship style perspective is, you know, I, I watched Matsuyama come up late Friday afternoon. He comes up 17, dumps a chip in the bunker, bogey 17. He's one back of the cut line, finds a way to grind out a birdie on 18 and makes a cut on the number. He finished T5. And so what that says about this course is that anybody – can win who gets to the weekend, right? When you have a course that both Corey Pavin and Dustin Johnson have won on, there could not be more polar opposite golfers on the planet. 
But because it is a course that doesn't require you to hit it 320 just to get a look around the corner, but lets you play your game, think about on every hole there's a way to make birdie. There are probably two ways to play every single hole so that just as a player you play your game. If you execute your shots, you play with precision, you can score, you can win the tournament. That's what makes this you know, arguably the best course on tour. Well, that, that, that point is exactly why I think it's particularly suitable for the U.S. Open. And so funny that you had mentioned Dustin Johnson and Corey Pavin, both winners of the U.S. Open. And, and you know, uh, Corey at Shinnecock and DJ was right there uh, until s- Saturday. Uh, the course got him a little bit at Shinnecock. But um, the firm and fast condition, the thing that um, at least watching from television it looked like the the difference between there were so many ways to make bogey. There was it was so easy to make bogey on the holes, especially on Sunday because where the pins were and how firm the greens were. And I'm sure it's a hundred percent because of the weather conditions you described leading up to the event. It just put this premium on you know it. It felt like there was a circle that was maybe three feet by three feet to land each each approach and uh adam scott was landing the ball in the correct place and then he he rolled a few in um and that's why he was the winner but the overwhelming thing that he did was hit uh hit greens in regulation better than anybody else that's right? it and and fi- that's it and and finally a tournament where where you didn't have to hit it 320 to play well. That, that, that's exactly what he did. I mean, there were a lot of guys who had a chance to win this tournament who, frankly, you know, disappointed a bit. I mean, Rory, you just felt like Rory was coming on Friday, uh, even Saturday. It felt like it was going to be his tournament. And, and then he goes out and triples five with that green that just runs away from you, and he's done. I mean, one of the things that – that you can't really see on television. It's a lot like the Masters, right? People who go to the Masters are like, holy crap, it's literally in a bowl, and they can't believe how much elevation there is. And it's like, I don't know why we can't get television cameras that capture elevation and undulation on golf courses, because it would make them so much more interesting visually, right? But Riviera, it's like, the, it's like the reason the iPhone can't catch a sunset in the right way. Just something, it's the Achilles heel of camera technology or something. But what you don't get from the Riv is just, it's in a canyon, one of the traditional canyons and old canyons in L.A. that ostensibly used to run into the ocean. It's in a canyon, and so from top to bottom, there's a ton of elevation change, and it's just running super far away from you as you go out. But coming back, you, you know, you, you're really working hard to get uphill. Rory fell prey to the way that the ball just flies, and and there's five feet as you're going down that hill. Where if you hit it in the right space, you're going to get a ball close to the hole. If you hit it five feet, literally five feet too far past, you're going to be off the back and in jeopardy of triple. Well, so it's very funny that you would talk about um, not being able to see that uh, and, and, and experience it on television because we literally did not see it or experience it on television because that uh, the playing of that hole uh, with him and Matt Kuchar was, uh, occurred during the coverage gap uh, as we transitioned from the Golf Channel over to CBS. And because it's so important for CBS to have its own uh, graphics and and whatever else uh, part of the TV broadcast, uh, the the PGA Tour continues to indulge this this uh, disrespect of its product and go dark for for twenty minutes. And it just so happened that the twenty twenty five minutes that it went dark this week changed the the entire direction of the tournament, and we didn't get to watch one second of, of that live. I don't think well, that and makes... even when they were live, they weren't showing HV three topping it off ten, right? Well, that's right. I mean, this is it's quite the week. You know, we we look and say with some regret uh, that the California swing is, is behind us, and uh, for all of the good reasons, the iconic venues, the iconic crowds. You know, what happens in Phoenix every year is is, is terrific. It really sets the stage for the golf year that's in front of us. But we're we're not going to miss is the goddamn lackluster CBS uh, production that really drove people crazy most prominently this past Sunday. Well, I have two solutions to that. The first is to go 
And and that's why I love the West Coast Swing because I went out and, and watched my brother play in all these places. Uh, it's an excuse to go watch a lot of golf in person at a bunch of great events. Uh, but the second, man, I don't know why the, the next TV contract they got to insist on drones. Drones were made for golf filming. Like and and you know the, the Fox tried them out at, at Pebble last year and they provided those beautiful vistas and really interesting shots. But every ball at this point should be tracked by a bunch of drones. The only complaint would be noise. And let me tell you, all over a PGA Tour course, they got generators powering the the scoreboards from the 80s that they still have up. And, and they're loud as hell. So we just got to get to another level of visualization of these tournaments to really bring them to life. Uh, otherwise, you got to get off your butt and get there. Well, you, you, you said it, and uh, you mentioned the um, renewal of the golf contract. I'm very hopeful, because I'm a glass-half-full kind of guy, that the involvement of some folks who have an established track record of doing good things with sports, like ESPN, their involvement, you know, it's been reported ESPN Plus is going hot and heavy after the digital rights. If, if we can create, you know, another... Uh, pr- provider of the, the the visuals to golf and those guys just innovate and make it um, you know so delicious to watch and and create for us the opportunity to not have to be stuck with the staid same old BS of, of network now NBC does a pretty damn yeah. good job I don't really have any complaints about NBC's NBC shows golf you know they they're the, the guys, um, uh, and I don't mean to, to, to say anything bad about the crew. I like, obviously Amanda Balionis is, is a pal. I'd like to see She's more of her. Nance is iconic. Um, and, and, you know, always, uh, love him. Nabilo is, is super, uh, knowledgeable. Don't have any problem with Sir Nick. It's just, we don't watch any effing golf. They don't show golf. I want to see the golf. It, it, and you know, there's two things on that. One is, you, lazy's not the right word because these guys work hard and they're all really good. But you know, we're, we're gonna—I bet we're gonna talk about the PGL in a second. And what I'll say to you is, the field is broadening, and the, the human interest stories and the things that you've got to know about each goal. I mean, go back and look at who has won since just the fall: Yoki Neiman, Sebastian Munoz, Cameron Champ, Kevin Na, Lanto Griffin. Yeah, Thomas has won a few. Brendan Todd won a bunch of events. Like, I, I guarantee you, Andrew Landry, I guarantee you that the researchers, Nick Taylor, did not do a ton of work on those guys, right? And, and, and when you get into a golf tournament now, any of 140 of those guys can win. It's not just that, hey, this is going to be the Tiger and Phil show anymore, right? So you right. sort of wonder if, if they, they simply haven't done the research or the work to be able to go deep on the guys who are in the field. I mean, you know, of the top 20 guys who, 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 uh, who were on the leaderboard at the end of the day at Riviera, there are more guys outside the top 50 than inside the top 50. When all the talk coming in was about the quality of the field, right? So you wonder that's if right. that's contributing. You wonder if that's contributing on the telecast to them thinning it out a bit because they just don't have much more to say. I mean, you know, just my own brother, right? The thing that comes up every time they talk about Mark Hubbard is he proposed to his fiance on the 18th green at Pebble. And by the time Nance dropped that story for the fourth time in Phoenix, it was like, guys, we got to get one more thing about him, just one more thing, right? So you want you wonder if that's affecting the telecast. And then lastly, the thing that drove me nuts about Riviera is there is, if they're going to do a froofy human interest story, I can't believe they didn't talk about the wild parrots because the wild parrots that roam the course and those sycamore trees at Riviera are probably louder than any of the drunk people at the Phoenix Open or at the Riv. I mean, we, Max Homa backed off a putt on 18 on Sunday because he thought he heard a woman scream in the crowd. And I'm telling you, there's a 50-50 chance it was one of these goddamn wild parrots that lives on the course. And so if CBS is going to do a froofy story, let's at least cover the, the, the player-rattling wild parrots uh, if we're going to go there. Well, I'm I'm glad that you mentioned Max Homa because the this I'll I'll end this this uh, CBS rant with just this. There were good players playing competitive golf with a chance to win at Riv that we didn't see. If you added up all the shots, I'm not going to go back and do it. But if you added up all the shots of Max Homa 
and Joel da- Damon, uh, Damon, um, Sung Kang. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't think you get to 10. I don't, I don't, and, and every one of those guys had a legit chance coming down the stretch to, to win the event. Um, and that's a d- deliberate production decision to show, you know, who, they have the choice, they have the cameras, they can show what they want to show. And we didn't see any of them, but you mentioned a moment ago, the Phil and tiger show. And that's a great segue into something. I'm curious. It's, this is still an evolving topic and evolving concept. And that is the premier golf league. Um, as our tour boots on the ground, um, what are you hearing ab- ab- about the, this, this concept? Well, there's a lot of chatter about it. And the truth is, it's a bit bifurcated, just as the tour already is, right? You've got the guys at the top who drive a bunch of the money and who candidly are the ones who are getting these offers and being invited to the nice cocktail parties uh, to, 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 to talk about this concept. And then you got everybody else at the bottom end who from the PGL organizer's perspective don't matter as much, right? And what's interesting is both those groups are lightly to moderately dissatisfied with the tour for totally different reasons, right? But the word that's out there now is, you know, a couple things. I mean, look, my own take on it, let me just start with that. I think the gap between the best players and the next group of players is growing smaller than ever. It's getting harder and harder to win, even if you're Rory or Justin Thomas or Tiger Woods. And again, the list of winners that we just went through in this wraparound season is a great example of that. It seems like there's a cluster of players who want fewer fish to shoot in a smaller barrel and who are trying to thin out the field a little bit and, and, and take the money out of there, right? And that probably means that there's some agents behind it who are pushing this. And, yeah. and, and so without naming the guys who were rumored to be all in, Yep. What I'll say is that at the high end, the guys who are rumored to be all in are some of the most isolated on tour. Okay. They're guys who either aren't popular in the locker room or they're guys who come in, they drop in, they play the tournament. They're on the private jet back to the, back to the house when it's over. They're you mean not like sitting in player Patrick Reed and Bryson DeChambeau. I, you know, they're not guys who are sitting at in player dining or, or sitting with their fellow players. And if you remember the last time that this happened with Greg Norman, it was reportedly Arnold Palmer who stood up and said, this isn't good for the game of golf. I'm out. Right. Yeah. And so I, it's been said, but I, I think this is going to come down in some extent to, to what Tiger Woods wants to do. And because if Tiger's in, it rattles and changes things. If Tiger's not in, you know, we already have an almost bifurcated tour. The, these WGC events, we got one in Mexico this week. Okay, here's a chance to grab a bunch of money in a small field. We got four of these, right? If the PGL is going to play 18 events, you got four masters or four majors. You got four WGCs. Okay, that's already eight. Add in the Riv and the players. Now we're at 10. You know, four events to pre- there's not these players are already playing basically 18 events only. Right. right. And there is a way that the, the tour rewards those really great players and they give them events like the one we're going to see in Mexico this week, where if they want to go play in a smaller field with no cut and make a bunch of money, they can do that. Now, when we talk about the viability of that concept, there's a WGC this week that a bunch of players are not playing. Right. I mean, there's some French guy named Mike in the field right? I mean, who, who got in because half of the top guys are not actually going to go down there and do it. But the, the, yeah. the overarching word right now is you got a few guys who are ready to do this. They're not the most popular guys on tour. They're not thinking about what's the future of the game. How do I think about um, what's good for golf and lifting up the rest of the players? Um, and then you've got this tier of guys in the middle who may be adversely affected by this potentially, but who are also saying, you know what, this at the end of the day really feels like a play to give the players more control. 
And they're all in favor of that because, you know, at the mid-tier, they feel like, boy, uh, if we just had some small salary and had to play for more money, you know, we could be, feel a little more secure. We could, you know, we could act differently. We could play different events. You know, at the upper tier, those guys are saying every other league has owners who have control and can actually move things in the players' favor. Here, we don't. We don't even really have a players' union, right? We've got an advisory council that has some say. But you know, when, the, when, the, when the Fox deal gets done and it's 10x what the last one was, it's, it's Snedeker who stands up in that meeting and goes, hey, guys, why, why didn't the purse go up 10x? And, right. you know, there's some head nodding, but, but nothing really comes of that. So macro level, here's what I'll say. You've got some guys who are definitely in, maybe because it feels like a really good money grab, maybe because they don't love these tournaments where number 150 in the world actually beats them. Right, and so they'd rather play a smaller field, but um, but but it feels like overall this is maybe a ploy to grab some more control for the players without unionizing, but to create that bogeyman out there that scares the tour into enough a change, uh, into enough uh, enough ways that they implement some changes. So the question that we got to suss out from here, Joe House, is what are those list of changes that really matter to the players? And how are we going to see it? Because what we saw on Sunday was a bunch of complaints from fans about the telecast and so forth. I'm not sure that's what the players are as worried about. So the question from here is, what do they want? And how can they move the tour in that direction? Because it's really hard for me to see the viability of 48 guys traveling around the world to play 18 events. Yeah, I I think, and thank you very much for for going through it in in that comprehensive thoughtful way the two aspects that kind of um you know rung the bell with me of what you just described and laid out there um in the first place money 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 is the thing that the players want more of and you you talked about the mid-tier guys and maybe there's a salary concept i don't have any problem with um you know creating whether you want to call it appearance fees however you want to describe a kind right. of um flat guarantee for maybe even the top, you know, it doesn't have to be the top 40. It could be even more guys. The next TV deal, the, um, you know, across the, 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 the board is going to be worth, it, it's being reported, of a material increase over the previous deal if the tour um, wanted to, to slice off a chunk of that and put it in a, in a bank account and say, this is the guarantee, you know, we're going to do a kind of a guarantee concept and had the effect of, and this is this, the second uh, aspect of what you just described there, there, there continues to be this tension um, between uh, the entertainment product. That is something that's fun to watch on television and kind of the history and the way things have been done in the past when it comes to golf. And there, there feels like to me a lack of innovation. You know, it, it is, it feels sort of groundbreaking when the tour takes on something like the two man, um, best, uh, better ball event that they do at, uh, New in, in New Orleans. Exactly. Like we're supposed to, to get out of our seats and the fact that they'd match play one of the WGC events is now a match play event. That's not like really innovation. And it also continues to be, you know, a, a struggle to get eyes onto, to those events. Like we, you know, you have to present it in a way that's TV friendly. And that's where the elements of, of the PGL that were uh, interesting, the 54 hole, um, you know, concept and having guys, you know, a limited field where the guys go off on one and 10 so that the entirety of the first and second rounds you could watch in, in three hours or something, right? You, 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 um, you redefine the television window. So some of those kinds of, of aspects of improving the overall entertainment value, um, kind of resonate with me and I hope that's ultimately where where this is headed. If you had to bet right now uh on whether or not um the the PGL is a thing in the next 24 months, what what side would you put your wager on? I, I say no. I, I think this is again going to come down to what Tiger wants to do. And I think that the PGA as it's currently constructed is a platform that he 
and ultimately, as he gets older, Phil and some of these other players, you know, but, but the tiger can use to do good in the world. And he, he's making a heck of a lot more, more money outside the tour than he is inside the tour now through sponsorships and the like. Right. Yeah. And I yep. just think to take the risk on some, but let's, let's go through the list of other uh, challenges to major sports leagues and how they've fared over the last 30 years. It hadn't gone too well. And so money is one thing, execution is another, and does it really become a platform where you can make the impact that you want? Tiger is past the point of worrying about money. Yeah, this is legacy time. It's all legacy this time, This is legacy right? time, and that's exactly right. And I promise you, he and Jack Nichols have had a conversation about this. And it's really hard to see a guy like Jack who already turned this idea down you know, a guy like Tiger who just agreed to host a tournament, you know, captain a president's cup for the tour, uses the, this this tour as a vehicle to make an impact in the world. And yes, make an impact on his bank account. It's hard to see him giving that up when, by the way, he only played 12 events last year. He didn't play in yep. 18 around the world flying you know, this way and that. So my sense is this is a straw. This is a bogeyman created, you know, by a few players and a few agents that is real and has legs, but ultimately is going to be used to move the tour in a direction. Um, you know, I think there's some guys who are in it because they're looking at the leaderboard and going, not only do I, I thought I was done with tiger. Now I got to deal with Max Homa and Taylor Gooch and Joel Damon and, you know, effing Mark Hubbard. Give me a break, right? And these guys are catching <laughs> up to me, give me an easier way to make my money. Not a ton of respect for that. Um, the extent to which it's used to make the game better and bring in a broader audience and make it more fun as opposed to the sedentary you know, shit show we're in in baseball right now. Right. Golf needs to look at baseball and be careful. All right. I like that. We're not going to do any better than that. That's a great point. Nathan Hubbard, our PGA Tour boots on the ground. Thanks as always, buddy. We'll talk to you again soon. Talk to you soon, Joe. All right, my friends, there you go. My thanks to Alex Myers and Nathan Hubbard. As always, a couple picks out there for you. Hideki Matsuyama, DJ, that's a little bit of chalk. And down the card a little bit, Tyrrell Hatton. We are off next week, my Eagle enthusiast, but we will come in hot on the heels of the Honda Classic, recounting all that happens there, and then beautiful preview of the Arnold Palmer Invitational at Bay Hill. So talk to you soon, my birdie buddies. Until then, let's hit them straight out there. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.